Yo, what's going on, guys? This week on Bottom of the Bill, we have Oz Noy. Oz is an amazing guitar player from Israel originally, and now he is living in New York doing his thing. He's recorded with, I mean, literally every artist under the sun. It's kind of wild how many pop records he's played on. Before we get to that, uh, make sure you subscribe to the page. Uh, anything we, you can do to help us grow this thing is greatly appreciated. We also have a merch store. The link is below. All great merchandise that's out right now for Bottom of the Bill stuff. Check it out. And uh, without further ado, here's Oz Noy. This is Bottom of the Bill. Yeah, man, Oz, I really appreciate you being here, man. Thank you for taking the time. Sure. My pleasure. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to kind of get get into some of your background and stuff. Uh, we I've been, you know, been a fan for a long time and and I was reading through your bio and everything uh, before we were doing this. And um, you're from Israel originally, right? Yeah. Okay, cool. And uh, when did you come to the States? And in, nine, in the summer of 96. Okay. And were you kind of playing already? Obviously, you were playing already. What, what was the, what was kind of your experience in Israel? Uh, and what made you want to come here? Well, I was already a professional guitar player in Israel since I'm a really young age. You know, I was I started to play professionally when I was 15. So when I moved to New York, I already done a lot of TV shows and some records and a lot, a lot of gigs there, like with some pop uh, acts and some a lot of jazz gigs. So when I moved to New York, you know, I was kind of a professional player. You know, I could, you know play a gig, you know, or go in a studio and record and or play a jazz gig. I wasn't as good as the guys here, but I was I could hang, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um I wanted to come because first of all, I was, you know, the jazz thing in New York is just the best there is. And uh, a bunch of my friends that were living in Israel moved there a couple of years before and they they started to get pretty successful here like they did a lot of jazz gigs and you know they were working here so i just wanted to come because i like this the music scene in new york gotcha so that, that was yeah. it took me a minute because they all my friends there was about about four or five people that all moved at the same time there were 20 when they moved here and i i it took me like four years to kind of i was 24 when i moved to new york you know okay okay do you feel like you were kind of behind the ball a little bit, or do you feel like you were able to catch up pretty quickly? I was able to catch up. I, I, these days, being here for so long, I don't think it matters when you come. But at the time, um, you know, they were already ahead of me because they were here for four years. You know, time does something because you meet people, you start to, they already start to have actual careers and record and do all this stuff, play with famous people, jazz guys and stuff. So it took me a minute, but. It takes everybody the time that it takes them. Some people can come here and get a gig right away. Some people can stay here for 10 years and develop or whatever till they get their shit together, you know? And I don't think there's rules to it. I don't think it's good or bad either way, you know what I mean? Because at the end of the day, it is about music, but it's also about what lifestyle you want to have. Right. You know? Yeah. Uh, and the New York music you know, is very specific so it's at the end of the day is okay do you want to live like that do you want to have that kind of life you know yeah totally i'm i'm actually i actually am very curious about that because there is this kind of stigma i guess with being a musician and you know the party lifestyle the late nights and all that stuff but then there seems to be this kind of resurgence in i guess like like maintaining a level of professionalism i think where now i'm noticing a lot of artists that are operating at a certain capacity or that you know are at a certain level of skill and ability seem to be living more like holistic lifestyles almost do you find that that's been the case with a lot of artists that are kind of operating at the level that, that you're operating at now you know um i never was surrounded by heavy partying or 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 like uh you know like that kind of stuff so all the people that I always played with or I always been around were, were pretty down-to-earth people that just really had their shit together, you know what I mean? So 
And those are the guys that work here the most, really. I don't know many people here that are, you know, party and kind of mess up and still work. If you mess up here, you're not going to work, you know? Right. At least that was my opinion. Maybe in some other scenes, it's different. But from what the stuff that I do, if you fuck up, you're out. Yeah. And nobody... Nobody can afford to do that anymore, you know what I mean? Maybe in the 80s, everybody was partying, it was fine. But today, I don't think anybody can afford to, you know, to to, to mess up, really, you know? It's like, uh, there's too many people, there's too many great players, there's too much, you know what I mean? You can't. It's like just, so since I moved here, I don't really, you know, I know people that were a little loose, you know what I mean? Or people that go partying, or but... It was never really around me. Most of the people that were around me were pretty solid. And that's why they work so much, because they're really solid, you know, musically and personally, you know? Yeah. And that's a that's a big thing. It's the personal thing is a huge. People don't understand that more than 50% of the reason why you work as a musician is not because how you play, it's because how you are as a person, you know? Totally, man. I, that's so true. I'm saying especially if you do tours, you know? Because oh. people want to be around that's cool that i can you know <laughs> yeah you gotta be able to hang with somebody on a bus or whatever for yeah. you know like unlimited time you gotta rehearse with them you gotta play shows with them it's just it's endless yeah. so yeah totally yeah. i have a funny story about new york actually i was there back in february um and i was just going to scope the scene out and uh see what was happening i'm not much of a jazz player myself but um, I do appreciate the music uh, immensely, and I do study it. But so I found a lot of jazz jams around town, and there was one that I stumbled upon. I, I won't say names because I feel like it, it, it might get a little uh, with you with you being on and and having that 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 those people around. You might know some of them, and I don't want to put anybody out there. But it was funny because I walked in, and there was a guitar player, an older gen- gentleman, and we were listening, and I could tell he was kind of. Uh, you know, struggling on this gig, you know, and the rest of the people playing with him were all younger, either fresh out of college or maybe a little bit more seasoned, but not quite at where he was at, obviously. And so after the gig, he hadn't, uh, it was clear that he had underperformed. And I remember walking outside, him and the bass player were having a conversation. He got like fired immediately off the gig. And I was like, holy yeah. shit, man. It, and they almost got into like a fist fight about it, actually. It was kind of wild. Um, but it was interesting because I felt, you know, I, I do have a bit, I'm conflicted in, in one way because there's an element of allowing uh, people to come and work things out on a jam where you, do, where you don't want to be too, you don't want to hold such a crazy standard where you decentivize people from coming and trying to work things out for themselves. But then there's also that level of wanting to maintain a standard of at least the house band where you should be performing at this level to encourage people that want to be, be at that level. But it was interesting to me, like just, just like the, like how quick he was able to, I've never seen that happen. I've, I've worked in Miami, Jacksonville, you know, I've been to all kinds of, I've just never seen anybody get fired for just not playing at the standard that everybody else was like that before. You know what I mean? It was wild. Is that a culture that you notice a lot of in that scene? I don't think so. I, I don't know. You know, I'm, I don't think so. Um, but I also haven't gone to a jazz jam in like, I don't know how many years. So maybe things have changed. You yeah, know? totally. I can see that. Um, also, uh, congratulations on the, on the newest single that you released, Evan Flow. It's a, it's a great tune, man. I really enjoyed listening to it. Which, which single? What? The, the latest single that you released back in March. Yeah, it was Ebb and Flow, I believe was the name of the song. With, uh... Oh, no, it says, yeah, it says you were featured on here anyways with Darren uh, Mizrahi. I have no idea what this is. Oh, wow. Doran? Doran? With Doran. Doran, yeah. It's not my thing, it's his... He's my music teacher. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well... I, I study ear training with him. Oh, really? He, he's an amazing musician and composer, so he released an album, and I, I was, I'm featured as a guest on one song. Okay, got you, got you. I see it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that song was amazing. I like the trading that you guys were doing back and forth. Yeah, on yeah, yeah. And also Omar Fetty. You know Omar, who Omar Fetty is? 
Uh, I'm not sure. No, that, that, that name doesn't sound familiar. Your song and producer in the world today. Oh, wow. Oh, shit. He does, yeah, love the, he's like the king of pop today. So he's he's on it also. Oh, that's awesome. I've, yeah. no, I've noticed that a lot with the uh, the, the pop world. Uh, as I noticed you have like your, your credits are insane as far as stuff that the people that you've worked with and the kind of stuff that you've been able to do. For somebody that kind of plays, uh, you know, like you, you exist in the jazz world, but like you obviously must have an affinity for pop music and for different styles to want to get into that creative headspace. What's that like for you? What to go from like this more avant-garde and obscure music to kind of working within the confines of the more, uh, you know, pop-centered uh, music. You know, I grew up. I grew up as this kind of a studio musician. I always played pop, and the reason I play guitar is because of pop music. Is because of the Beatles. You know, so I grew up on the Beatles. Really, that's why I started to play guitar. And I like. There's nothing I like more than songs, like really good songs. Like I like jazz and stuff, but the stuff that really touches me and I really like is, is songs. It's like, so I'm very song oriented kind of guy. Um, over the years, I've done. On and off, I've done, you know, like pop and singer singer songwriter stuff and, you know, recordings and all that stuff. But um, I guess people know me as a solo artist because I released his solo albums, you know, and I do, uh, you know, because I'm a jazz player. Um, it's not always, uh, you know, some people have certain ideas about that stuff that, you know, if you do one thing, that's what you do, blah, blah, blah. But I always did both my whole life, and I never had a problem playing the gig, meaning I never had a problem just going and playing guitar parts. I kind of know how to do it. I've done it my whole life. I, you know, I have the, my studio chops and stuff. So I never had a problem with it. It was, it was always like second nature to me. It's something that I've done since I'm a kid, you know? Right. And I'm always into it because I like to listen to songs. I like you know, I like popular music. I like like singer songwriters. I like that stuff. I follow it. So to me, that's never a problem. I think the issue is sometimes from the other side where somebody go like, oh, this jazz guy that has got all these chops. You know what I mean? But it is what it is. You know, people that know what I do, they call me to do the, to, to do those gigs. You know, there's not a lot of that coming out of New York, but sometimes I get to do certain gigs where i'm in a house band and playing for like some big artists and stuff so it's just you know it's just that kind of a thing and my focus artistically is just my music and 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 you know just because i'm lucky that i can do it you know yeah a lot of people do that stuff and they just can't they just don't have the you know so i'm lucky i have a place in new york i can play every week not every week but there's a couple of places I play in New York, but the main place is the Bitter M where I played for like, I don't know how many years, like 20 years or something. So I can always play there and develop my music and I can do different shows with different people. So I have an outlet to do my stuff, you know. I don't I don't know if I would live somewhere else and I wouldn't have that if I would be able to do it. All right, guys, this episode's brought to you by Best Buds CBD Store. If you're like me, maybe THC isn't always the right high for you. Or maybe the legal status of THC has you a bit hesitant to indulge. So at Best Buds CBD Store, they have an array of CBD and Delta 8 THC products. These guys truly care about their service, so everything is meticulously sourced and prepared to deliver a top-notch product and experience. If you head to their website, you'll find all kinds of educational information regarding Delta THC and CBD. Uh, not to mention if you use promo code BOTBPOD, that's B-O-T-B pod, you'll save 10% on your order. This is not a one-time deal. If you use promo code BOTBPOD, every time you place an order with Best Buds, it will give you 10% off. That's in perpetuity forever. So head over to bestbudscbdstore.com and start saving on all of your CBD and Delta A products. Enjoy, guys. I love that you described it this way, that there are guys out there that can play uh, and play the part of whatever they want, but they don't have the the fortitude or wherewithal. Maybe is the right word to to, to take on the role of like an artist uh, per se, which is something that you do. And I'm curious as to what being an artist versus a musician means to you, and how you've been able to cultivate that using your different experiences as a side guy over the years. 
You know, when I, I when I moved to New York, I never wanted to think of. I I never thought about being a solo artist. It wasn't like, oh, I'm gonna move to New York and be a superstar. You know, it was never that. I just wanted to move to New York and just play with really good players and play really good music. It was never. I never thought about becoming a solo artist. But the the funny thing was, it, before I moved to New York, when I was in Israel, I started to do this little trio because there was a period of time that I wasn't getting called to do jazz gigs. Like I always did pop gigs in Israel. I did like, you know, famous singer songwriters and TV stuff. But the jazz thing there was up and down and now I, I like to do it. So I formed a trio in Israel and I started to play some places and um, it, it was pretty good for like about the, the year or two before I moved to New York, I played a lot. And it was good, you know, you develop stuff or your chops and stuff. So um, when I moved to New York, I basically kind of formed that same kind of trio because I wanted to people to kind of notice my playing, you know what I mean? So I would, I formed a trio here and I started to play that club, the bitter end. And I don't know, now I think about it kind of foolishly enough, I thought that if I'll do it, um, you know, people will notice me and start calling me to work, to play. So people did notice me, but I didn't know was when people notice you as a band leader, they don't actually call you to play because they see you do your thing, you know? So true, man. So I, at the time, I kind of didn't know that that's what it was, you know? So I just kept doing it because I had a good time and I had a gig or two that I can do it and I can write music and I can call all these like great players that I always wanted to play with, you know? So for me, it was an outlet to really meet musicians so but through the whole time i wasn't thinking about being a solo artist it wasn't a part of my thing you know so when when so so th what happened eventually was i was playing the bitter end and a friend of mine they used to record um you know there was two mics and there's still two mics in the room that are record really nice so i did this little demo of a bunch of tunes and a bunch of friends of mine heard it and says like, hey man, you should make an album from this because it's got a vibe, which it really did actually, you know? So I just did an album, a live album, because I just thought, I, I still didn't think about anything like I'm a solo artist. I just thought it would be a cool thing to do, you know what I mean? So I did it and that's kind of how my whole solo thing started. But to answer your specific question, in order to be an artist, First of all, you, you normally you need to write music. And I, I always wrote, you know. And usually when you write music, you need to write it for a certain situation. So I had a trio and a certain concept in mind. And I had a gig where I can do it at all the time. So that's how it kind of developed. In terms of being a solo artist, you have to have your shit together. <laughs> <laughs> right. <You know? laughs> because if you don't, things are not going to, you know happen and i tell this to everybody because i've been doing it for two, for a really long time you have to be willing to lose money sometimes yeah and a lot of people don't it's it sounds kind of a little cliche and stuff but i have many friends of mine that released albums and are great players and they're just not willing to take it's not really taking risks it's kind of like almost you know you make money but sometimes you have to you know put money into it and you know yeah you just have to spend time and money on this sometimes there's yeah, just no way around it it's an event it's an investment into your business you know whatever however you want to look it's at it yeah um and a lot of people are just not into that period it's, it's it comes down to just that at the end it sounds it's it sounds almost counterintuitive to me as a musician because i feel like a lot of us didn't get into this because we wanted to play you know cover in cover bands and stuff like that which is you know a huge thing that musicians often just kind of succumb to they do the cover band yeah. thing the corporate the wedding thing or whatever then they end up never really creating because again like you're saying they're not willing to take the hit on the money side or whatever it may be and it seems like that's what you'd want to do as an artist or as, as a musician because you know for a lot of people you got into playing an instrument because you wanted to create in some capacity you know so to kind of relinquish that uh, instinct to the dollar almost seems a little counterintuitive to me as as an artist. 
You know, I, I would like to say something about that. First of all, not everybody needs to be a solo artist. Not everybody can, needs to write music. Like you can be a really good player that just sideman gigs. And I personally don't see any problem with playing covers. You know what I mean? Like if it's good, it's good, you know? So you don't have to. It's only if you want to do that, you know? It's only if you have this desire and something to say as a solo artist. You know what I mean? Like you don't, there's like, hundreds and thousands of musicians that are really great that just do other stuff. It's fine. You know what I mean? Right. Other, it's everybody, you know? No, totally. Um, and, you know, I never saw music like, like uh, you know who Steve Ferrone is, the drummer? I don't think so. He's a, he's a famous drummer. He, he's a he's Tom Petty's heartbreaker drummer, but he's, gotcha. but he's a very famous studio guy. He played on gazillion records. So he told me, he's a good friend of mine, he told me once, well, thank God I'm not working for a living, <laughs> you know? So it's kind of like that, when you play music, you don't feel like you're, to me, it's not work, you know what I mean? Like, there's certain things that feel like work, but I never thought about music as a job, you know what I mean? That's my point of saying that. Right. So some people do think about it as a job, and then... You know, it's still fine. You still make a living. You're still playing an instrument, but it may not be as uh, thrilling as, uh, you know, as just playing artistic music or, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. I think that's another important thing to, for, uh, you know, for people to keep in mind is that we, we had a, do you know, Kevin Scott? Yeah, yeah of course. Okay. Yeah, he, he, yeah. He, he was on the podcast a few weeks ago and um, yeah. he made some really good points about, uh, about even being a side guy, you know, and like, you know, doing a gig for the love of the music or because you have some kind of creative input in it, uh, you know, w w those two things can be true separately, but um, to never think about money as, uh, as the thing, at least at first, you know, like for a while, because even as a, as a side man, even if you don't want to be an artist, I do believe even as a side man, you might have to lose some money at first to, to to take advantage of an opportunity that could help you know elevate you to a different uh place you know so that's kind of the point that kevin was making too and it kind of just you know it echoes what you're saying right now about not looking at music as a job and when, when you take that no i'm sorry at the end of the day it's supposed to be all about the music exactly and there, look, you know, everybody's doing shitty gigs sometimes. I do shitty gigs sometimes too. You know what I mean? There's no way around it. You just do. But, you know, so in those situations, you do think about the money, but still you're playing guitar. You know what I mean? You're not uh, shoveling or whatever or, or working in a bank or whatever. You play music, you know? What I mean? So it's fine. You know, it's just a matter of, if you only do that all the time, that is probably gonna dry your soul. But if there's a mix, you know, and you make a living and you do everything else, then it's fine, you know. But as long as it's all about the music, it's okay. Yeah, for sure, yeah. for sure, man. Um, what are some of the? Uh, this is kind of like one of those cliche questions, but I always enjoy uh, that, that, the, the conversation. Uh, do you have like any moments to pop out to you about like some of the shittier gigs that you've played, whether it be? patrons or band leaders or or side guys just things weren't working out properly um i try to uh, not think about those <laughs> yeah i feel that <laughs> there's some gigs you know i i don't do them much anymore i try to avoid the i guess thinking about the bad gigs like sometimes if if i do something bad i just kind of erase it from my memory i was like all right that was that and that's it you know? Yeah, for sure. I've done some stuff that was not happening. Plenty of stuff that was a drag. But you just go, you wake up the next morning. I was like, okay, that was that. And then move on. Yeah, you know? <laughs> for sure. For sure. That will have no impact on my life the next day. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Um, do you sing at all? Or do you just play guitar? Uh, only play. Okay, cool. Because we were listening to... Um, which record, Chris? Uh, it was uh, Ozone Squeeze. Ozone Squeeze, yeah, yeah. And you feel that's my, well. That's Ozone Squeeze is kind of like what I call my pop jam band. Um, it's a project, it's kind of a side project that I started five years ago. So it's me and uh, Darren Stanley is a drummer from Atlanta. 
Okay. And um, Ray Thistlethwaite is a he's a keyboard player that plays keyboards, left hand bass, and sings, and also writes. So we did one album five years ago as a trio, and we toured with it a bit. You know, like people kind of know about it. And then we were supposed to do another album and pandemic hit, so it took us five years. And this year, in January, February, we released another album and we added a singer, a girl singer, Sarah Nemitz. So now it's a quartet, and uh, we released a new album called Squeeze It. It was released in maybe February or, Mar- or March of 2023. Okay. And uh, we did a little bit of touring in the u.s and that's pretty much it we're just trying to see when the next time we can tour again yeah yeah now when you're um like so so this kind of this is one of those projects that you do would you consider like a passion project something that you wanted to do that you just didn't really have time earlier on well um a bunch of years ago me and my manager were talking about stuff and he says like man you got to do something that's more like jam bandy or more like song oriented and i was like sure because i'm into that stuff i never made a band like that but i'm into it i, I again i said i said i played on songs so like i love songs that's what i kind of you know so i started to think about it and i found these two guys and we and and ray right writes really great stuff so the first album has a bunch of covers and some of ray tunes and the band has a real sound you know and the 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 thing about this band also is there's you know there's guitar solos and stuff it's really you can stretch you know so it's really like a a pop jam band the songs are like more pop oriented they're like really good written songs but then there's sections that you can kind of jam yeah so that was that and then the new album is even more of that you know okay and and with with, um would you say a, a similar ratio to covers versus originals or are you guys writing more in this next one this new album there's more more originals because sarah writes sarah the the girl singer she writes great too so it was more originals gotcha yeah and even like we do kind of our our versions of it you know right right as far as like releasing the music and all that and then like are, are you trying to kind of build tours around the releases and everything like that or are you just kind of releasing the music and just seeing what happens with it now the way the way it works for me, it works for everybody differently. I release an album and then I tour behind the album. Right. That's kind of the way I do it. I've been doing it for a while. So, for example, you know the the Ozone Squeeze record was released in March. We had a tour in March. And now it's a little problematic because the keyboard player Ray he's very busy. So we're just waiting to get another opportunity to tour again. But I'm just finishing now a live album that I did with my band with Dennis Chambers and Jimmy Hatton. Fuck yeah. So that record is going to come out in September, September October, we're going to tour. Okay. So that's kind of how it works. You know? um, I don't always have to release an album to tour, but when you have something new, it always helps because it's more of a thing, you know? A Plus you can, yeah, you can push bus, you can, you know, sell it to the gigs and stuff like that. Not, you know, so it it always helps when that's the case, you know. Because like there's a there's also like you know there's whatever you come up get a little bit inside baseball here. We come up with the marketing assets, and then you have like, you know, people want to talk about it more. It's something new and fresh, so it helps in the PR, the marketing side. Do you have people helping you with that, or are you kind of just doing it all yourself right now? I'll do anything myself. I, there's I, the the um. I, I'm on Abstract Logic. It's a record label, right. and they also so they basically book me. They release the albums. They kind of do everything. Wow. I I have somebody that does my social media for me, because I'm you know that's a whole other game. But but uh, everything else is uh, pretty much Abstract Logic. I'm curious as to how touring has been since. Uh... COVID and all that, I know that bands uh, at, a, at, a, at a very, you know, at, at the local and regional level, like mine was, experienced extremely difficult terrain t- to start touring again after COVID. I mean, if ticket sales were, were hard before, they were real hard afterwards. So how have you, you know, to, to release a record earlier this year and then one later this year and then d- ideally tour on both of those things, um, that's not an easy thing to pull off especially when you're talking about ticket sales. So I'm curious as to what that landscape has looked like and how you've been able to make it work. First of all, nothing is what it was. 
It's not the same, you know? So in terms of ticket sales, I don't know about that. It, things are different in general. That's even not that had to do with anything to do with tours. People are just get used to sitting in front of their computers now. So it's harder to get people out. That's, got, that's just what it is. And that's been uh, the case for a while. The problem with touring is that the cost of traveling is really high now. Exactly. Buying and hotels and all that stuff, it's so expensive now that I had to cancel some shows because here and in Europe, by the way, because I was not, I was not able to get, I would lose money by getting somewhere. You know what I mean? Because the, the travel was so badly expensive. So I think that's the main problem that everybody's dealing with now is the cost of travel. Uh, and that affects touring, you know, that affects it a lot. In terms of uh, um, crowds, I don't know. Um, I started I started touring again a year and a half ago. And when I started touring, we were still wearing masks on the plane and stuff. And even, you know what I mean? So it was right when it was possible to do. In terms of the, the, the um, people showing up, people did show up. But it was kind of like it. Um, some places were better than others, so it was still kind of a little like this. I think the main issue right now that everybody's struggling with more than anything is just the cost of moving around. Right, right. Because like, and so you guys aren't like traveling by bus or by van or anything. You guys are just doing flying dates only. Uh, a lot of flying dates, sometimes vans, but but even that, it's like everything is just more expensive now. Hotels yeah. are more expensive, like everything is. So, you know, it's just every, it's just really hard to kind of move from one place to the next. And even if you raise the ticket prices, it's still, it's not balanced out quite, you know, it's still kind of wacky. Yeah. You know, when you're, when, you're, when you're an artist, like I think, you know, I'm releasing an album, I have to do this. I have to go and tour. Some people would not want to do it because, oh, I don't want to take the chance of not making money or not or whatever. You know what I mean? So it's it's a thing that you kind of have to be. It's almost like something that, you know, it's like a hobby. It's like a bad hobby that you have. <laughs> it's a bad hobby, yeah. <laughs> Especially if it's your only source of income. You're just like your hobby is like draining. Oh, like, that's the only source of income. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. Like a bad yeah that, that's that's kind of like what um what what i'm curious about is because like there's this part of uh, part of you that's like and you know most artists are like yeah we don't want to lose money but we have to do the thing uh because and hopefully you make up for it because with the travel expenses being high you have to you know make up for that on ticket sales or whatever else the money's coming from and people aren't showing up the way that they were before so that that's going to hit ticket sales as well so then you have merchandise and hopefully by touring and getting the word out, people are going to your website and streaming your music and you're making it up in some other kind of way, right? Is that kind of what your what the hope is? Yeah, well, you know, to be clear, I, I don't go out on tour and, and, and try to lose money. But of course, if you go out, basically when you go out on tour, you're supposed to make money. You yeah, know? of course. But where... And I've been in those situations before the pandemic too. It's like there are situations sometimes where the the, the numbers don't add up because maybe there weren't enough people at the shows, or maybe I don't know the hotels were too expensive. It's all these like things that just kind of sometimes don't add up, and you just have to eat it. And you know, then you do one thing, and after that, you do another thing that pays really well, and it all adds up to something, you know? Yeah. So it's just. Like, Look more like the global picture of what it is, you know? Right, right. And people say, fuck it, and just don't do it. <laughs> Some people do. No, really, it's like, it's like you don't have to do this, you know what I mean? <laughs> right, right. I've thought about that so many times with a van broken on the side of the road or something. You're just like, I don't yeah. have to do this to myself. Like, what am I doing yeah. here right now? <laughs> well, you do it because you love it, you know, and you like the music and you have a good time and it's cool. Yeah, totally. You know? It's a great experience overall. I mean, it's really hard to think about another lifestyle um, when you're traveling and you're meeting people, seeing all these great places and playing your music and seeing how it's affecting people. So it like, really, makes, um, it really makes up 
for if you do if you do get a loss on it if you do take a loss on it just the experience alone i think helps in the creative process it helps the mind certainly with just whatever i think it's like therapeutic almost to be out in the road and doing this kind of work and then you know so i don't know it makes up for it in different ways i feel like you know if you do take a loss that's like the silver lining in my eyes I don't know. To me, it's again, most of the tour I've done in my life, I did not lose money, but there are a situation where you just do because it's what it is. But um, I, to me, it's really not about that. It's like because I'm releasing solo albums, if I decide one day that I'm done, then I'm not going to do it. But as long as I do that, it's kind of I feel like it's something that I just need. I just have to do, you know, so I just do it, you know. Right, right. Um, and the part that part is always great because it's always great bands and we play good music and it gets better and better so that part is always cool it's just the other parts are always don't always line up the same way as you want them to, but you know yeah of course yeah for sure and i'm curious about the creative process as well because i mean obviously all the numbers stuff and like that's all nerdy stuff that i'm into just because i i understand how it works to an extent but the creative process yeah. is also something that I think is interesting because it works differently for different artists and different musicians. I'm curious as to what it's like for you working with the different bands that you put together and then having the music in your head, bringing it to life, recording, and then everything that follows. Can you kind of walk me through what that process is like for you? Well, yes, but it's a little different. The process is a little different. The way I do it is I usually have a concept for a record, let's say, or for a band, you know? For example, uh, uh, some of my old albums, I released those albums called Twisted Blues. It was Twisted Blues Volume 1 and Volume 2. Yep. So the concept was taking all these blues forms and writing kind of more advanced harmony on them. So I made those two albums. Then I did like the last two solo albums that I did were more boogaloo uh, uh, kind of oriented. So the first thing is I kind of get the concept in my head. Then when I start writing the music or collecting the music for it, I play, I have work to play in New York. So I would play in the clubs here uh, with whoever, whatever band I wish to play with, like whoever the guys that I play with here, you know? And I'm trying to kind of get the music together. Once the music together, then I will go in the studio and record the album. And when the album is recorded, the music is already really together, you know? So then I record the album. And then once the album get released, we go out and tour with whoever I tour with. So that's like the process, you know? In terms of creativity, it's, like, it's great because, you know, it takes me time. I write the stuff, I play it live, I kind of mess around with it. Then we go and record it. You know, I try to get the best performance on, on the record. And then when you go out and play it on tour, everybody, you already know what's going on. So it's really all about developing from the studio version to the next level. So artistically and like from that end, it's great because it's almost like you're taking to the next level from the album, you know? Right, right. And it's, but it's a process that takes a while. It's a, this process can take a year or two sometimes, you know? Totally. That's, that's why I'm interested in because you're working, you're, you're coming up with concepts and then you're bringing it, then you're kind of building your band around yes. this concept that you have in mind yeah and then yeah. you're working it out um at your at your residency gig that you have what is working it out look like are you listen are you recording the live sessions and going back and listening and then kind of dissecting them are you like telling people hey i like what you did here but not so much here let's not do that next time kind of thing so the way it works is i usually when i write i make a demo at home I have a studio here, so I make a demo and have really not good demo. Like I program really basic. No, no, seriously. Yeah. I program very basic drum beat, but it's the drum beat that needs to be there. You know, it's like the vibe. I usually come up with the bass lines. Um, and then I basically I do guitar. Maybe I put a little pad if I need to. And then I record a very basic demo. We usually do a little rehearsal to just go over the music. And then after that, we just play it. And what happened when you play it, when you bring a bass part to Will Lee or a drum part to, I don't know, to Keith Carlock or Anton Fig or whoever there is around here that I play with, they make it their own. So then the music kind of comes to life. And then you can kind of see what works and what not. Because 
when you when I do a demo at home, I can never tell if it works. Of course, yeah. But when you start when you start playing live, so what happened is then you start playing live, and then sometimes I'll tweak the chart a little bit, and then we'll do a little rehearsal again or whatever. But a lot of the stuff, when I say a little rehearsal, I'm talking about 20 minutes learning the tune. That's it. <laughs> everything else, everything else happens at the gig, you know, and that. that's what happened that's where it kind of uh, the the identity of the tune happens and then when i when we play it enough and it's got a vibe when i go to record a big part of the recording process for me is because i i, I have access to pretty much anybody i want to play with almost you know what i mean so i can call anybody i want kind of which is great the guys that i love at least you know but I don't like to use people that I never played before, never played the music. So I like, because I like the stuff to gel and to be organic. So uh, usually I would think of who would be a good, it would always start with a drummer, who would be the best drummers for these tunes, you know? And then I'll, pro I'll just call those guys. Right. Sometimes I play them anyhow already. So it's like, you know, and that's, that's how it really works. Are you using the same musicians that you're playing live with in the studio? Is that the ideal situation for you? I, I mostly do. Like, on the last, like, um, I mostly do, like, um, maybe there was a record or two. I use Vinny Kaliudon on a couple of things. but And Vinny doesn't tour with me, but I do play with Vinny. And whenever we do stuff, I always tell him, hey, man, we got to play this before. So it's usually okay, you know, but... But all the other guys like Weckl or Dennis or, or you know, the old times with Anton Fig and Keith Carlock or Stephen Wolf or like uh, Rocky Bryant or um, Steve Ferroni, we always played. So it wasn't like, they're friends of mine, but we always played. So it wasn't like it was like jumping in the studio and, and doing it. I never do that ever. And the same thing with bass players, like, you know, Weirdly, I played with like a zillion gigs here. So, you know, James Gene is the same and Petitucci is here too. So it's always, it's never, I've never ever went to the studio called and go like, hey, let's play this. Never. Right, right. Um, and I'm curious also um, on the live end of it, when you guys are kind of coming to like your final or you're going through the creative process of like kind of working things out, how much of what you're doing um, is based off of like crowd response and stuff too, because like I, there's got to be times where the crowd is just like feeling what you're doing and and reacting versus times where you can feel you're kind of losing them on some stuff. Are you paying attention to that at all when you're uh, writing? No. No. Okay. <laughs> you're just like it's you, got, you. It's got zero effect on what I do. Okay. But but. but let me not be an asshole here. It's not that I don't care. It's just that people dig good stuff. You know what I mean? And if you if you play good stuff, people dig it. So if you like what you do and you think it's good, people will like it. Right. Not everybody. You're never gonna please everybody anyhow. But I think I have I think me and also the guys at the band, you kinda have a good sense of what works and what not. You know what I mean? And the the crowd is pleased when you do good stuff. Doesn't matter what it is, you know. So I, it doesn't really have an effect on to me on the writing or on whatever. You know, it's different with songs. But when you play songs and you have lyrics, like it connects to people in a different way. Like you can really see people getting into it. With jazz, it's so abstract. You know what I mean? Right. So people are connected to the grooves and the sounds, and it's not something that hits them like somebody saying uh, I love you or something you know what I mean it's a different kind of connection so it's not the same you can't read it the same way you know right right no that's totally true man I've, I've always been curious about that because you you talk about uh, not but you hear about like different forms of art where they do like comedians will often work things out and see crowd reaction to see what's working and what's not. I've always been curious if musicians that kind of craft their music in a live setting pay attention to that at all as well. So it's just interesting to hear hear that perspective, yeah. you know. Do uh, now from when you're in the studio and then you're and then you're touring the music, how much does it change from what the studio uh, production was to what it is when you're touring the music? I it, it, uh, the tunes kind of stays the same, 
But everybody interprets them a little different. It depends on who's doing the tour. Right. Like, for example, uh, playing with Dave, Dennis Chambers will sounds different than playing with Dave Weckl. You know what I mean? It just sounds different. Everybody's got a different approach. And I love it because that's inspiring to me because I don't want this to think to be just like the record. I already did it. So the tunes are the same. The jamming aspect changes a little bit. But it's still within the form of what the song is. It's just there's a lot of freedom, especially with the with improvisation side. So I think it gets better after you start touring, after the record comes out, you go like, oh, I wish I could go and record now, you know? <laughs> right. Yeah, but, of course. <laughs> yeah, but but it's it's just changes, you know, it's different. It doesn't change drastically. But it does change, you know. Yeah, it's a different. It's a bit of it. Just right, right, right. Yeah, especially if you're, you know, when you have guys at that caliber that you're surrounded with, it's like they're just kind of bringing their own flavor to it. If it's a different artist than yeah. who's on the record, it's like they come in yeah. and they just add their flair to it, and it could be better or just different, you know. Exactly, and also, you know, there's certain guys that I tour with that are good guys to tour with. They're great players, but they're also good to tour with in general. So. They have their own thing over the music, and I'm really not, I'm not attached to anything. You know, as long as the vibe is there, like, of the tune, I'm fine. Right. You know? Right. I'm very, I'm not that specific about, you know, if there is a signature groove or signature bass line, that needs to be there. But anything else, I kind of trust the guys I play with. You know, sometimes they come up with stuff and they're like, oh, that's cool. You know? Yeah, for sure, man. It's so important to be able to trust the guys that you're playing with to make creative choices. You know, uh, it yeah. takes it allows you to take your hand off the wheel a little bit and and really focus on what it is you want to be saying there too. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And uh, have you? Uh, so another thing I'm kind of curious about is I, I love in this style of music what happens with like especially guitar tones and stuff. You know, there's there was like this kind of thing that started happening where there's a lot of like jazz harmony and then all this fusion stuff where you have guys like Pat Metheny and Schofield and Mike Stern, obviously a lot of jazz influence and harmony and, and arrangements and stuff. But then the guitar is using like these wild effects and just kind of having a whole different thing. And I noticed this a lot in, in your music too. Can you kind of speak to some of the, some of that creative energy and, and why that happens in this versus more traditional styles of jazz? I, I first of all think that jazz opened up a lot since I grew up playing jazz. Like it really opened up. It's like to me, all jazz now is really fusion. Like fusion is kind of a bad word, but if you really think about fusion, is fusion is just a mix of styles. And you know, there's a bad connotation for fusion because of the '80s, because everything was very technical. But fusion is also Miles Davis and Mahavishnu Orchestra and all that kind of stuff. So. Uh, to me, jazz today is all fusion because they mixed, you know, a lot of the R&B and the soul are getting mixed into that. And and everything is getting mixed into jazz now. So I think that's great. I think that's really excellent. That wasn't the case when I grew up in the 80s. It was still pretty stiff. Like, again, in the 80s, like, you know, Pat Martini was doing, you know, electric, uh, the um, Pat Martini group, you know, and then uh, Chi Korea was doing electric band and, there was stuff going on like that throughout history of jazz all the time, but I think now it's super, super open, which is fantastic to me. That you know, like guitar players don't have to play a jazz box anymore; they can play with reverb and delay and loops and all that stuff. It's excellent. Yeah, it's fantastic. They can add anything they want. There's no real oh, this is not jazz. This is jazz. It used to be like that in the past, but not anymore. And I think Miles was the guy that was like the king of that. He kind of, but, but, you know, he really always tried to push and open, you know, to the next thing. Um, in terms of using effects and stuff, I started using effects from the beginning because when you play a trio platform, in a trio platform, there's a lot of space to cover. Right. You know, guitar, bass, drums. So, effects and electronics and loops and all that stuff it just makes sonically things more interesting and i've done it forever because i could find space for that in my music you know sometimes you play music that doesn't have the space for it space for it so you also have to kind of write the stuff 
or find the tunes that you can do this stuff on, you know? Right, right. And are you paying attention to that kind of thing when you're writing the tunes? Or you're like, well, I want to use this effect. I want to be able to have delays or, you know, chorus effects happening here. So I'm going to make sure there's space for for that to exist. Yeah, kind of. Like, I don't really think about that when I write. But when the tunes come together, I have certain kind of little things that I do, tricks that I do with either delays or loops or the Leslie pedal, stuff like that, or tremolos that... I go like, oh, this will fit here or fit there. And sometimes I try to go for other stuff, you know, but effects does make a difference in writing. Like it's inspiring to be able to, you know, do stuff and add, you know, like, cause you know, once you put a delay on, it changes a lot of things, you know, like you can write a tune just based off like putting a delay on the guitar or something. Look at YouTube. It's, it's like a whole model. It seems like <laughs> exactly. So you don't want those things have power for creativity. You just have to look if you if you go into a gig and playing Stella by Starlight or you know a standard, and it's a swing gig. You might not have that open spots where you can do it, but if you play your own music or you play things that are a little more open, then you can definitely find ways to incorporate that stuff. You know, totally. Are you working, uh, do you practice that kind of stuff at home or are you mostly using the gig to, to figure stuff out? I don't practice that at home. You know, with looping, I do a lot of live looping, like in real time. So with that, sometimes you have to, I wouldn't say practice it, but you have to have the certain concept of what you want to do. And I, you do it live and a lot of times you do it and it sucks for a while <laughs> till it comes together. You know? Right. It really is what it is. But but you just um, you know you kind of know what you you're doing and a lot of the times the coolest stuff happens from mistakes. Like you you had you do the loop and it came in the wrong place or you reversed it or something was a mistake and suddenly you go like oh wow this is cool. This happened to me with effects too. Like I remember one time I was hitting I was in Japan and I hit the tremolo pedal. Uh, I it just like my foot hit everything on ten, you know. Yeah. So I was playing and then I suddenly hit the tremolo and all I heard was like and I was like shit but then I went with it and then it became like a trick that I do on a rhythm guitar when I put the tremolo on 10 and I add it into the rhythm you know so sometimes this kind of stuff creates like it's like happy accidents you know yeah totally man I love the way you think about all this stuff have you have you thought about getting into producing at all have you done much producing for other artists yeah, I do. Like, I'm not like a producer, producer. Like, I don't sell myself like that, but I produce stuff because I know I know how to build grooves. I know how to get sounds. I know how to do studio work. So, yeah, I've done stuff for people sometimes, like some songwriter stuff. Yeah. I, I can actually produce jazz records because I do it on my own all the time. But, um, but you know, everybody's a producer now. Everybody's got a studio. Everybody can do it. So. <laughs> right. It almost kind of waters down the... Uh, the... I guess the the workload of it, but it does. But there is there is certainly a skill to being able to uh, put the right people together and and help you know kind of structure things and especially when you're paying attention to sounds and and what kind of vibe you're trying to communicate uh, with the music. And it seems like you've got a pretty firm grasp on that for sure. Yeah, I can do that in my sleep, kind of thing. Yeah, you know? <laughs> I love the confidence, dude. <laughs> so good. <laughs> To me, that's easy, you know what I mean? Yeah. If I don't write and I just have to put things together to make it sound good, that's to me, it's like a piece of cake. That's not even, you know? Yeah, totally. Totally, man. Um, well, I don't know if Chris told you, we have a, a segment that we do here at the end of the podcast. It's called Unpopular Opinions. Um, and uh -huh. we'll each just kind of go around. It doesn't have to be mu music related if you don't want it to be. It can be about whatever you want. So, uh, Chris, what you got? Awesome. So the hybrid guitars, these like Fender Acoustasonics, these uh, acoustic electrics that are really trying to be both. Yeah. Uh, they take the worst qualities of both instruments <laughs> and put them together. I, I have not played one of those that I thought was great once. Yeah. Sorry. And I love Fender. I play a lot of Fender stuff. But those in general, those guitar lines are just not working for me. <laughs> I could see that. Have you played much of those, uh -huh. Oz? I have one of those guitars. I like it. Um, I don't. Th I think the idea is you don't want to 
you have to have the right expectation for this thing. Like, I think this thing will work really good either to an amp or to direct and to get like more synthetic kind of sounds. I don't think it's supposed to give you that acoustic sound, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I think it's more to get those kind of like half processed, half electric kind of sounds and, and make them, you know, I think it's got potential actually. I haven't really, I have one, I have not used it. But I kind of noodle on it or take it around, but I haven't used it on anything. But I think it's got potential for some stuff, but it's different. It's You can't expect it to sound like an acoustic guitar. It's more like an electric acoustic. Yeah, and you I've, know, and, and actually you, you got to commit to that, you know? Yeah. And that's a good point as like a studio tool, because I've always like seen it at, exactly. like, and I've played it live and stuff like that. And live, it doesn't feel like an acoustic or sound like one and it doesn't uh. feel or play like an but to find this middle ground for something in the studio, I, a studio tool would be great. Maybe they could market it as that. Call me Fender. <laughs> I, I, I really think that if you kind of think about it as more of like a direct, you know, sometimes in the 80s and stuff, there was, or, or sometimes you get those sound, like acoustic guitar sounds that are direct and they put chorus on it or something. You okay. know, it's not more like that kind of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. like a tool for production or something rather than like... You're not gonna get you're not gonna get the great acoustic tone from it live playing direct. It's always gonna sound a little bit like well, and that's I, I guess that's my standard is that like my acoustic rig, I've got it really dialed in with like the LR bags and like a good preamp and everything, and it's it's a yeah. good live acoustic tone. And then I play yeah. that thing, and I'm like, I want it to be speedy and also still have the tone, and it's you know, it's uh, maybe I'll give it that. It's a good idea, but it's. It's not there for live quite yet, maybe. Maybe, be, maybe I'll walk back to that. I'd be curious to know if there's any kind of iconic guitar parts that have been recorded with one of those, or like yeah. if there's anything that like stands... Because I have, actually haven't done any research to know that information, but I'd be, cur I'd be curious to know... If there's like, a, like an iconic part that's been played with one that we're just like shitting on right I'm now, I'm gonna. I'll check it out. I'll <laughs> check it out because it's real. They're modern too. I mean, they're not. You know. Yeah, they're they're well they're within, within the last like ten years exactly, probably. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there was in the '90s. I think when Sting came out with "Nothing Like the Sun," that album, there was that, uh, or, or like Phil Collins, that whole era. Era. Uh, Dominic Miller was playing on a lot of that stuff, and Dominic plays nylon string guitar direct. Okay. And uh, it became a sound, you know? There was those Gibson guitars that were kind of thin, mm -hmm. you know? That, and a lot of that was, that was kind of the sound of like the late 80s, early 90s. I think that's the era, maybe mid, you know, where the direct sound has become like a thing. And you can hear it on those records, some Phil Connors records and, 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 and Sting records. It's not mic guitars. And also, I know it for a fact, because it's a friend of mine, Dominic, but a lot of those Sting guitars from that era are direct. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Amps, you know? So it's the same thing with this guitar. It's like something that you can kind of create a new kind of little different texture that's not really an amp, but it's not acoustic either. I think that's why they kind of developed this thing. I don't know if anybody made a career out of it yet. But <laughs> Maybe one uh, day. That's my opinion about it, you know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. Well, I see an avenue for you then, so <laughs> there's your next project. I don't, I don't know. What, I, it's nice to have it, but I don't really use it much. I haven't found anything to use it for, you know? Yeah. Well, you got an unpopular opinion, Oz? Unpopular opinion about the gear? Just or in, in general. general. It can be literally any. We've done food. We've done, like, movies. movies. It can be about whatever you want, literally. I noticed something lately, I don't know, I don't know how many Jazz New York guys are going to listen to this, but, you know, um, you know who Kurt, Kurt Rosenwinkel is? Yeah. Guitar. So he's like the kind of new jazz guy forever. He's like the man, you know, and he's got a thing where he uses this thing called the Pog. Oh, yeah. Uh, the electroharmonic, and he takes what he does, he does something really brilliant. He takes the, the you, with the Pog, when you put it on, you can take the pick the picking out of the note. Mm. He made like a whole signature sound out of that, which is great. It's his own thing. He owns it. And every time I hear a jazz guitar player guy use that pedal, it immediately sounds like him. And I just want to tell all those guys, take that shit out of <laughs> your pedal board. It's <laughs> over. Find something new. Right. Yeah. 
Because it's, it's like almost like, you know, like, I don't know, like Eric Johnson on a fuzz face. You play that sound for one second, you know, that's what, that's Eric, you know? So I know it's hard to do because it's a really cool sound and it kind of gives you a vibe. But if, unless you want to really sound like Kurt, you got to not do it. And I've seen a bunch of people do it in New York and I'm not the guy to tell them no, you know? But that's my opinion about it. Is it's over? He owns that shit. Move on. Move on. Yeah, yeah. that's fine. I, <laughs> I feel like uh, Pat Metheny had a similar thing in like the yeah. '80s too. But it wasn't a pog. It was it was some kind of like synth sound. I don't know what. It, do you know what it was? Uh, he had that synth guitar thing, but he also had that stereo chorus. You know, right? On his it's like it's like once those guys do it, it's great and everything. But you have to find your own shit because. Unless you really want to sound like him, you know. Yeah, it's great for so like a tri- it's like a tribute for a second or something. Like if you're doing a solo and want to almost like give him a nod or something like that, sure. Yeah. But if you use it every solo and you're just trying to pass it off, like get out of here. Yeah, yeah because it's it's. I remember I, I you know Eric Johnson's a friend of mine, and sometimes we play together. And one time. One of the times he was playing in New York a bunch of years ago, I sat in with him and he goes, well, yeah, let's just play my guitar and plug it to my Marshall. And every note I played sounded like him. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, like every note, you can't get away from that sound. And I remember going like, oh shit, what I'm gonna, you know? So it's kind of that thing where it's great, but he, he owns it move to another area you know what i mean yeah <laughs> speaking of eric johnson have you heard that record that him and mike stern did together a while back yeah. oh my god so yeah. fucking good that it, like again i don't come from that world so I, I only discovered it like you know four or five years ago and when i heard yeah. that song wishing well there's like a live version that mike stern yeah. does with richard bona on yeah, bass yeah. uh and one of the yeah. jazz fest oh my god man fucking blew my mind it's such a beautiful melody oh, yeah, Mike is a good friend. We're actually playing this Thursday together, the bitter end. Oh, really? Mike, that's, yeah, man. That's Mike. awesome, man. I've, yeah. It's fun. I, I, when I was in New York back in February, I saw the bitter end pop up because I was looking for places to go to, and I just didn't get a chance to make it there. I found a bunch of other great places. I just didn't get it. But next time I'm there, I'm going to go and check it out. It sounds like there's a lot of cool shit happening. Are you familiar with New Blue uh, also? Yeah, New Blue is cool. Yeah, yeah Nublis, there's not a lot of places anymore. A lot of places in New York closed. There is still places, but it's not as much as there used to be, you know? Yeah, and that's why I've heard uh, for sure. All right, let me do my unpopular opinion this week. Let's see what we got. Um, uh, I don't really have any music-related ones. So uh, I hate uh, the subtitles when people put subtitles on. Uh, and you don't and like if you speak English and you're not deaf, why do we have subtitles on when we're watching movies, especially if we're watching like comedies where it takes the punchline out of everything like you're trying like I get that you want to like some people are better readers and they are listeners and I get that. But I mean, bro, talk about killing anticipation for anything that you're watching. I don't know. I hate it. Yeah, I would say as a foreigner that that English is my second language. Some movies, not all movies, but some movies, it helps because you can you can kind of sometimes don't quite understand what they're saying, you know. Totally, and I and I get that a hundred percent. Like my like my my family is uh, from South America, I'm from Cuba, and we have to often make those adjustments, and that's totally fine. But when I'm like with my friends and stuff that don't, where there's none of those. Uh, precursors and we're just we just some, one person wants the subtitles on I'm like bro it's also distracting because like I'm I end up reading them and not watching the movie so I'm just like yeah, fuck yeah. I'm missing shit you know what I mean just read, true, you're right. read slower <laughs> read slower <laughs> read slower <laughs> don't give away your own punchline yeah. well, my, my thing is I stand in front of a guitar amp too much to hear everything so like oh, I, okay yeah I the keep, rest of us here don't stand in front of guitar amps or anything i'm just saying <laughs> i've you know it's nice to be like what did he say oh i get it now it makes sense yeah I feel so like i'm a subtitle guy you're Get a subtitle in. guy all right <laughs> you, and uh oz how do you so for for you it helps but how do you feel about it in general if you don't need them do you do you like having them there oh 
No, you're not into it either. Okay, I'm not alone on this one. All right, fine. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Bro, thank you so much for taking the time with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure getting to pick your brain. Um, I love talking to all you guys at this level. It's always inspiring for me. And um, so I just appreciate, again, the the time and everything. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, man. Uh, Have a good rest of the week. And uh, I look forward to everything you got going on, man. Cool, man. Thanks. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.